Richer, poorer, sickness, health. Nine toes or eight. Nine toes, ten toes, whatever. However many toes you want to bring well, to the party. you're stuck with me. <laughs> Good point. I, I didn't mean to imply otherwise. You're stuck with me and my magnificent boobs. They are magnificent. Try not to rub the mic on them. I, I'm making no promises. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Duke and Duchess podcast. Welcome. My name's Chad. And I'm Liz. Yes, you are. All right. So what are we talking about today? We're here in episode 18. Episode 18. We are talking about The Name of the Wind by Patrick Rothfuss. Or Chapters. Not The Name of the Wind. Oh, I did it again. You know what? It, it happens. Look, we have not podcasted for quite a while because we're we're coming back from vacation it's all it's awkward it's like what do i do with these things why do i have so many toes yeah no that's that's just an excuse (laughs) so anyway what book are we actually reading the wise man's fear by patrick rothfuss chapters 53 through 61 Uh oh that's a problem i only read through 60 chapters 53 through 60 what i meant (laughs) you didn't read dead nettle no i didn't all right well you look forward to that one all right do do you know what we're doing next time or do we or we'll put in the show notes or yes next time we're doing chapters 61 through 69 all right fantastic i'm writing it down so i can remember all right let's talk about our spoiler policy quickly would you like to care would you like to handle that no i don't trust myself (laughs) Fair enough. <laughs> All right. So the spoiler policy is simply that Liz has read the book several times. I have not read these books, so we will not spoil anything past chapter 60 of The Wise Man's Fear. Yes, indeed. There you go. Pretty straightforward. So I know that you have a lot of thoughts about this section because you have been taking furious notes i have copious notes for days so i'm pretty excited to jump into it um you know it's i've mostly been um i've mostly been like drawing out like dungeons and writing um chad loves liz over and over again i've been writing like chad and then you know your last name So, Y'all, today's our wedding anniversary. It is our wedding anniversary. <laughs> Happy 14 years, baby. Happy 14 years. So, And this is what we do with our wedding anniversary. It is. is we, devote we talk it, about dungeons. We, dev- <laughs> we devote it to you, the listener, <laughs> and all of nerddom. And we're going to talk about it, the book now? Yeah, let's do that. Okay. Right. So um, last week, episode 17, uh, we talked about both having a trial he was talked into after his trial for putting the hammer down on Ambrose witchcraft yeah for the witchcraft trial he was talked into by his friends and teachers into taking a leave of absence and conveniently was offered 
a um, an opportunity to, tra- to travel to Vint to see someone named Mayor Alvaron. A little too convenient, if you ask me. That's, well, you know, we're just going to have to roll with it. We'll see. Uh, I agree. That was probably the most... I, I, I shook my head a little bit at that super convenient thing happening as well. However, we're going to go with it. Both is off to see Mayor Alvaron. We don't know the details, but somehow he gets shipwrecked. There were pirates involved. Moved through that very quickly. And in this section, we are getting to meet the mayor and some of his court. And Quoth is sort of uh, starting to work his way through into this whole new world. So we have finally left Hogwarts. Yay. Are you happy? There was much rejoicing. There was much rejoicing Uh, from Chad. Yay. You know, it's interesting about the last section and is that it sounds like from everything that you just talked about, that a lot of stuff happened. There was a trial. He learned a different language. He nearly got hung by a jury. There were pirates. He was shipwrecked on an island. None of that stuff was explained. We just <laughs> we just breezed right on by it. It all, all happened off screen. Yeah, it's an interesting storytelling choice there. What do you, what do you think of that? Well, he, here's the thing, and we talked a little bit about it last time too, so we won't talk about it too long, but... All that stuff might be exciting, but frankly, if it doesn't get me answers about the the Amir and the Chandry and it doesn't get me, uh, you know, closer to the end goal, then it would all be a very, very delightful distraction. So I'm cool with it. Yeah, I'm, I'm cool with it as well. Um, it's it's a, definitely an abrupt change of pace in the novel. At this point, we've been kind of dragging through some detailed descriptions of various kinds of alcohol and various the same walk over the same bridge several times and well it's been like a lot of character stories stuff. and but it's been a lot of character stuff yeah a lot of sitting still and then all of a sudden it's like whoo it's like a racehorse taking off so yeah it's sort of like you've it, it's sort of like you've been stretching a rubber band you know and now all of a sudden you've kind of let it go and it's like bam we ended up on the other side of the continent with the king of Vint. not really the king of Vint. So let's get into chapter 53, The Shear. Yeah, so chapter 53, The Shear, that is where we find out that that uh, Quoth did not have his loot destroyed. He arrives in the town of Severin, and, as a, and he needs to get himself up to Mayor Alberon's, but he's completely a wreck. He's wearing you know ragged clothes that apparently he stole off somebody else. So he's got to pawn his loot and the loot case in order to buy clothes. Then he finds some baronet and puts on his, his best uh, trooper acting skills, and he bosses him around, you there, man, take me to the estate. And up to the estate they go. And that's pretty much what the chapter is. Do you think he used the Sean Connery accent? Was that Sean Connery? It was a little bit Sean Connery. I was going for James Mason. <laughs> Apparently I failed. No, I... I Sean Connery sounds like 3% more authoritative than pretty much anyone. It's a good point. It's a good point. I call it the James Bond effect. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I would listen to what he says. <laughs> so so what, were your, what was your take on this chapter? It was a, it was a nice re- relief to kind of be out of Hogwarts, as you said, and kind of be on the road. It reminded me a little bit of the end of, of the Tarbian days. Yes. You know, because he's in a situation where he doesn't have a penny to his name, he looks like a street urchin, but 
unlike most of Tarbian, this time he actually has his sense and his wits about him. You know, and so he's able to pretty quickly work his way through. And thankfully, he had, you know, the loot in the loot case that he was able to turn into money. So I wasn't happy about him pawning the loot, but given that he feels like time is of the essence, uh, I guess I can go with it. Uh, any other notes on this chapter or? No. Okay. Should I have had more notes? No. Now just, you may. I'm just asking. There have just been so. There's just been so much note taking lately, and arrows pointing places, and <laughs> I'm wait. I'm waiting for it to start. Well, it was mostly pointing at cartoon genitals. So. <laughs> no. So um. Yeah. I. I mean. I think this. This chapter is pretty straightforward and I, I thought it was clever how both is able to talk his way through um i particularly liked the smile oh, that yeah. he had saved mm-hmm. he talks about um the kind of snotty footman that he meets uh kind of guarding denna's room one yeah, time yeah. and how the man smiled at him and it's this this just biting um smile that's that's um derogatory and and it's uh, he talks about it being a perfect smile and how that was a gift to him and he kind of puts it in his pocket and now it's like his final weapon against this baronet that he wants to convince him to take him to the the mayor Mm -hmm. he just pulls it out at the right moment and it this man just cracks like an egg he says so i just kind of liked that kind of callback yeah and i think it's a little bit of it's just a peek at quoth being able to open up his eyes and see a little bit better. Maybe just the the bare slightest hint of his sleeping mind being used. I don't know. We'll see. Um, but back to your point about did I have a lot of notes on this chapter. I'll tell you that for the most part, you know, we had eight chapters in this section that we carved out. And really, my notes are all almost entirely in the last three chapters. Oh, okay. Good to know. Well, so we'll talk about... Uh, chapter 54 is called The Messenger. Mm-hmm. And of course, that refers to the bow that Quoth uses when he meets the mayor. And of we'll course, get it to does. I knew that. I, to- I-, I totally knew that. Of course. So, Quoth manages to bluff his way to Mayor Alvaron. Um, making his way, the final kind of barrier is his manservant, Stapes. Mm-hmm. Do you think it's Stapes or Stapes? I thought Stapes. I thought Stapes too, but maybe yeah. it's I don't know. I've been wrong before. We're gonna go with Stapes. In my in my mind, this character's head cast for me is Mavis Staples, the old gospel singer. Hmm. I don't know who that is. Well, you should. <laughs> if you don't know who Mavis Staples is, you know Google people. You need to educate yourself. Apparently it's pretty nice. All right. Um, so he makes his way past Stapes and into the mayor's presence and, and is able to deliver his letter that he, his letter of recommendation that he wrote himself um, to the mayor. And the mayor, you know, unfortunately does not leap to, um, you know, give him 10 gold nobles and, and um, tell him exactly what he's doing there. But he does say, Hey, I'll, I'll talk to you tomorrow. And, and, offers to outfit him and give him rooms. Yeah, he, um, yeah, exactly. He, I, I think that's a pretty accurate description. He, when he meets with, uh, there were a couple things I noted, so let me take a step back, actually. So I liked kind of what he observed about the guards. He was like, these guards are not, 
ceremonial guards. Like, right. These are legit kind of veteran guards, you know, and they've got a soldier's eye. And they pat him down for weapons. And I think it was just a bit of luck for Quoth that worked out his way that he lost his knives that he would normally have on him. And you have to wonder, would Quoth have had enough common sense to not take them into into this location? Hard, hard to say. Who, who knows? But either way, it wasn't a choice. So it was sort of, you know, fortune smiling upon him that he didn't have them because I don't think he expected to be searched. And then the other part is that we've got this character named Dagon, which uh, if I'm not mistaken, and I don't, I don't think I am, Dagon is one of the gods from the Cthulhu mythos. And, nice. um, and also, I suspect, just by who this characters and that he got a little bit of screen time and described we'll probably see this guy again i have no idea who he is but he'll probably come back around there was a big conversation here about the digs you know the the luxurious rooms that he was in and how much he despised them because you know they were to him like a prison which is interesting because that's exactly what the position denna was in uh several times so it's kind of him getting to be on the other side of it for once. That's a really good point. And I think his complaints about the rooms were very similar to Denna's complaints about her rooms. Yeah, absolutely. It doesn't matter how nice and how comfortable they are. If you're sitting there waiting on someone's beck and call, it's a prison. Right. doesn't matter how nice of a prison that is. You know, so that was really kind of all I had there for chapter 54. You know, one thing that's nice. It's so nice. To be someplace new and different. Yes. So as much as like there's not, I mean, these are set up chapters right now. There's not a ton going on, but it's so refreshing. It is. Yes. (laughs) I know you were particularly frustrated by the last, last couple of chapters at the university. I was bristling at the last, the last few, but you you Um, So one more thing for me in this chapter that stuck out was you know, when we talk about the bow, and so when he's introduced to the mayor, he says, I, I made a standard number three bow called yeah. the messenger. <laughs> and it just gives you such a glimpse into, glimpse into this character's mind, how he's got all these things just filed away. You know, um, so much information just categorized that he's able to pull out. And we really get to see him in full manipulative glory here as he's starting to really work the mayor you know and in recent sections of the book we've seen him developing more intimate relationships with with friends and so there's been a little bit less of that but we get to see him just really start to work people yeah and it's you know it starts back in the last chapter when it's you know what kind of a face do i have to put on you know to get this baron to take me up here you know it's just he he kind of reverts back to his his quote, you know, in the first days of the university when he's sneaking into the testing and watching people and, you know, when in his last days in Tarbian when he's conning his way into a pair of clothes and all of that, which is funny because I hadn't really thought about that when I was reading through this um, as much as you're you're right and I clearly observe that that's what he's doing. I hadn't really thought about it in those ways, but if you go back and you think about it and you think about when he behaves that way, he 
it, it tends to be one of these things where he kind of gets his immediate needs filled, but it doesn't always necessarily go well beyond that. You know, his trying to manipulate people is sort of like his relationship with Denna, where it doesn't ultimately go anywhere. But on the other hand, where he kind of walks in and is just vulnerable is usually where he ends up really doing well. And I'll give you a for instance. So if we're comparing this to the end of the Tarbian days, when he he manipulates the the guy to get the set of clothing, he gets a set of clothing, that's fine. But then when he goes into the inn and he's talking with the innkeeper, he's just straightforward with the guy. And as a result, he the guy ends up not charging him. When he stumbles his way into the cobbler, the guy who made his shoes, he's just his normal self, and the guy gives him the perfect pair of shoes and, again, doesn't charge him. So it's just curious to see and kind of take a look at Quoth when he's being manipulative and what and how things turn out, and Quoth when he's being genuine and how things turn out, and then let's see how all this stuff plays out because he's definitely in master manipulator mode for most of this section. That's a really good point. And there's a, a moment early in The Name of the Wind where Quoth even outright says, and I think he's he's talking to Bast about choosing to hang the sword folly up in the inn, in the front room of the inn. And Bast is like, are you crazy? You know, we don't know exactly why that's crazy, but, you know, he thinks so. And Quoth says, you know, it just feels right. And all of the the best moments in my life or where my life has gone well have been when I don't overthink things. Yeah. So he's learned, we know he's learned that by the end of the book, you know, at this point in the flashback, it doesn't seem like he's learned that. Yeah. It's, so. it's funny. That's been an ever present, uh, line in my head all through this section. Right. And it definitely goes with what we talked about last week with the sleeping mind versus the waking mind and how Quoth, when he over intellectualizes or tries to control things too much, definitely makes things go awry. Um, there's a brilliant thread on Twitter that Patrick Rothfuss put out. Oh, yes. Where yeah. he, he begin well, he starts off by talking about events that happen later in this book. So you don't want to read the yeah, beginning I, of I it. Yeah, I tried to avoid reading it. I, I read a couple of the particular tweets uh, that people kind of sent to us. Right. And thankfully, you know, our, 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 our listeners know where we are, so they didn't send us any of those tweets that were spoilery. I refrained from reading the rest of the thread for that very reason, though. Um, yeah, so I read the whole thread, and it's it, it was brilliant, but a, one of, a, a part of it, he actually says this, how Quoth is his own worst enemy and that he really doesn't even need an antagonist. Just give him 15 minutes alone by himself and he will, I think he says, uh, turn his life into a snarly clusterfuck. <laughs> and I'm like, yes, that's it, exactly. Well, he spends a lot of time by himself in these chapters, so yes, let's see what so kind we'll of a snarly see. clusterfuck he makes out of it. Um, so we, we go on to chapter 55, which is called Grace. Yes, and this is the this is kind of the first one where I... I start to pick up on any of the, any of the stuff because uh, again, the last one we're kind of you know we're in a new place we're framing up what's going on we have to build the setting we have to kind of set up where we are. Not a lot there from a character standpoint. Definitely nothing from a plot standpoint. In fifty five, we get a little bit more. Really, what I got out of fifty five is fifty five was just kind of the first conversation that Quoth has with Mayor Alvaron. 
Right. I mean, and just do the quick summary. Like, that's kind right. of all that happens here, really. Right. And it also, it, it paints a picture for us as to what the interactions between these characters are going to be like. You know, Quoth has been on this journey to get here, and there's this mysterious task that the mayor has for him. And so I think we're realizing that, oh, no, he's even going to have to tease out of him what he wants him to do. And mm-hmm. that this this character of the mayor is incredibly subtle and crafty. Yeah, and you can kind of see that. Um, we had a we had a tweet. I, I put out a tweet and said, "Hey, we're going to be recording." Uh, of course, that was uh, we ended up re- recording late, but um, but I put a tweet out and said, "Hey, we're going to be recording. Anybody has any questions? You know, in the next hour or so, send them to me, and we'll make sure to address them." And uh, Ian Crone said, "Do you feel like he's being?" observed for some sort of recruitment and i wasn't quite sure how to how to take that because to me i mean i've i think absolutely like i absolutely think that's what's going on over these several days that mayor alvaron kind of keeps him hanging on is to watch how he's going to react and so it seems very obvious to that for me. Uh, it seems kind of obvious that, yeah, I think that's absolutely what's going on. But it, but in in my typical uh, paranoid fashion, I, I'm, try, I'm looking at things, you know, beyond that and saying, do you mean is he being recruited for, like, membership in the secret Amir Society? Is that what you mean? <laughs> like, or do you, or you, do you simply mean, like, what's in front of us? Like... I got to put my my X Files hat on. <laughs> you know. Well, you know, so much has has was revealed about the Amir in recent chapters that now we kind of are going to be looking for Amir behind every hedge. Um, so it's definitely an interesting thought. Definitely something They're to put a pin in. Secret Targaryens. <laughs> Every one of them. <laughs> now, Secret Targaryen. Sorry, I'm going to write a song later about that. That's awesome. I think you should. I totally <laughs> think you should. All right. So one of the things I noticed in this section is this is, I noticed that Quoth is kind of doing a better job of seeing things hmm. in this chapter. So he takes a moment to sort of spy on Alvaron in the gardens before he walks up to him. And I do... I do question whether or not that's a wise thing to do because Quoth has got to realize that he is being watched everywhere. And it seems like later in this section that he's pretty aware of that, but it seems to me that some of the, you know, that behavior in particular of sort of like looking at him through the bushes before your first meeting with him, there's probably somebody watching you do that. Not that it really matters because, you know, it's not like he was doing anything he shouldn't have been doing. He was just taking a minute to size him up. But he he noticed, you know, he was starting to notice subtle things about his clothing. He was noticing that at first he thought he was old. And then he realized, no, he's not old. He's sick. He's ill. Right. You know, before he ever had any sort of conversation with the man about it. And then I found the conversation a little bit odd, the conversation that he had with Mayor Alvaron, because here is essentially how the conversation went. 
Hey, Quoth, how you doing? Oh, I'd stand up right now, but I sure am old. Oh, if only I, um, if only I had something to lean on. Oh, I wouldn't want to lean on a young man like you. I'm old as dirt. I'm old. I'm really old. I'm old. That's the entire content of the, of the conversation. Right. I counted. He says he's old five times. Mm. There were only like seven sentences. Right. Now, that's weird because Quoth says that he observes that he is not old. He's sick. And then later at the end of this section, we find out he's only 40. Right. So he's not old at all. So it's strange that he would sit. Now, I understand that he probably feels old as hell. He's like, am I old or is that just the lead poisoning talking? <laughs> you know, I, I get that he feels old, but it's just strange that he would harp on that so much. And you know Patrick Rothfuss is pouring over every word because from what I understand, most of, his, most of these books that he writes, he ends up writing twice as much material as he needs and then paring everything down. Right. So he's really looking at every single word. So that's all going somewhere or that's leading you to some thing. And I haven't quite put my finger on what it is. That's just so funny because I that didn't jump out to me at all, I guess, because I am old and I <laughs> I talk about being old all the time. You're not old. I, well, I am. And sometimes I'm just like, holy crap, I'm old. Or maybe I just hang out with younger people. But if I, I have many friends of, of various age groups, you know. Mm. So if I'm hanging out with a friend who's like 25, oh, man. like I, I'll be like, damn, I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> well. So you just get to that point where you're first starting to get old, where you're like, I mean, and you know, every year you turn 28. Oh, I'm so old. You turn 32. Oh, I'm so old. But no, like right around 40, you just get like, holy crap. Like, no, <laughs> this is the real old deal right now. I'm old. You know, and I'm sure everybody <laughs> out there who's listening who's 50 is like, shut up. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's true. <laughs> I feel like everybody at every given age is like, damn, I'm old. Like, like our eight-year-old tells our six-year-old, when you're old like me, you'll understand. <laughs> you know? So I, I just found it strange that the man's 40. He, he's got to, I think he's got to know that he looks older. And, may, and he's probably trying to hide from Quoth mm. that he's sick. Particularly if he doesn't, if he's trying to observe this kid to find out whether or not he's going to keep him around. And he tells him, hey best to keep your i think it's here um i might i could be wrong about that but best to keep your 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 lips buttoned about why you're here for you know don't tell people why you're here and then of course you know everybody starts coming up to him and trying to pepper him for questions and it's clear to me that he's it's being watched whether or not he's able to do it and hold his tongue because discretion is apparently important it's obviously a test well, and it's interesting to me that you bring up him maybe trying to hide his infirmity mm -hmm. um, because we go right into the next chapter, which is called power with a kind of in-depth discussion about inherent power versus granted power and power of the body versus power of status. And yeah. a one-handed man can do this, but he'll never play the lute. And they he kind of goes back and forth with Quoth about it a little bit. And, and they have a very different opinions about... Um, 
how far can someone rise? So it's very interesting to see these two characters, one who has always been the most powerful person in the room in most cases, and one who, and it's been reiterated several times in the last couple of chapters, that the Edamaru are the lowest on the on the social strata. He is the lowest of the low. Well, and all, it's also interesting that both of them, you know, when Mayor Alberon asked the question, which is the more powerful, both of them have different answers. And they both think that what is more powerful are the ones that would be most important to them. So Mayor Alberon, you know, his entire power base, money, all of that is all granted power, according to this. You know, whereas Quoth has zero granted power. He only has his mind and his body, you know, and thankfully he has a brilliant mind. So not surprisingly, he's going to say inherent power. And they Mm -hmm. both kind of lean on the things that, uh, you know, are their own kind of personal bases of power. But I, you know, I'm reading this conversation and you know that like, okay, I'm sure there's some deeper meaning to this that's going to kind of come back around in some way or it says something about the characters. I'm not quite sure exactly what it is. The big thing I noticed is that Quoth can't keep his mouth shut. <laughs> He's like, but... I did, like, the guy says, here's inherent power. A man is only limited by blah, blah, blah. And Quoth's like, well, I have to disagree. You know, I'm 16. I feel like I should talk, you know, because he's like a typical teenager. Right. He's like, he's like, I get that, you know, he he thinks he's 50 years. I get that you're 50 years old and basically the king of Vint, but let me tell you what I think. Actually, Thomas Aquinas said. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Have you ever read any Nietzsche? I believe it was Emil Durkheim. <laughs> like. <laughs> but it's interesting because. So there's this whole concept called the growth mindset versus the fixed mindset. We've talked about it. We've talked about it. And that's kind of what these two characters are are discussing right now. I disagree. Do you? (laughs) (laughs) Go on. (laughs) So, you know, and for Mayor Alvaron, who is someone who has always had all this granted power but feels that he is limited in his inherent power because of his age and his infirmity. You know, he's trying to convince himself that granted power is better anyway. And that because in his mind, your inherent power is what it is and you can't really improve upon it. Mm. You know, and for Quoth, who has only ever had this inherent power and who has worked like the Dickens to improve himself. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And granted, probably has more potential than most people do, but has also grown so much as a character. So for him, his inherent power is kind of the sky's the limit. Yeah, absolutely. And look what he's seen, you know, look what he's seen happen in his life. Here he's hobnobbing with someone as rich as the King Event, you know, and who would have ever expected him to be there? Well, the other part of it, too, is he, he has no granted power. Now, he may be able to gain that, but if he does, it will only be on the basis of his inherent power, being clever, winning friendships, when, you know, building networks, like things he's going to have to, he's not really going to be granted much of anything. He's going to have to earn any of that. So even if we call it granted power, for Quoth, it's going to be earned power because nobody's ever given Quoth anything. He's had to fight for everything because he comes from the lowest of the low. That's true. And I, I think, you know, the first time 
first couple of times I read through this book, this chapter, I was just kind of like, blah, 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 my God, you know, but really, when you when you read it carefully, it's, it's such an important insight into who this new character is and how he thinks. And it's definitely clear that he's testing both trying to figure out if he's worthy of whatever it is, yeah, you know, and, and that this subject is very important to him. And um, I think one line in particular, like stands out to me as being very typical of this character. And he says, here's a great secret. Even my title, my riches, my control over people in the land, they're only granted power. It all belongs to me no more than does the strength of your arm, but I know the difference. And that is why I am always in control. And so we've talked about this theme of being in control and the illusion mm-hmm. of control. And so it's interesting to see it brought up by another character from another perspective, you know, because we know that that's something that, that both has always struggled with as well. Yeah. And it's sort of interesting how this whole section plays out, because one of the things that Quoth rightly brings up about the concept of granted power and and even Master Mayor Alvaron brings up there is that it can be taken away. You know, and Mayor Alberon's thinking about it in terms of, you know, maybe the king can take it away or, or what have you. But, you know, but Mayor Alberon is in danger of having it all taken away through people in his own inner circle. You know, he's in danger of losing all of that. And he thinks he's in control because he's looking at the political game, but he doesn't, you know, but he's not like anybody, like like the... uh like the arcanist on the boat with the Atamaru, he's really only operating in kind of his own area of expertise and not seeing kind of what's going on outside of it, like anybody would. Yes. You know, and so his demise is coming from somewhere he doesn't expect it at all. So the other thing I noticed about this is, speaking of, you know, his demise, we believe, it seems pretty obvious, that his his arcanist by the name of Codicus, I believe that's how you pronounce it, is poisoning him. We learn that later, and we'll talk about that later. But he says in here, when he starts talking about Codicus, Quoth says, you know, hey, you should listen to him and make sure you take your medicine. And he kind of snaps at him. Right. And he says, you know, bah, one Codicus is enough for me. You know, and it was just interesting to me that, like, that's his first, the first time we've heard that character's name, and Mayor Alvaron is not overly pleased with him. Right, because this Arcanus has been making him drink these foul-tasting potions, mm-hmm. and, um, he, you know, he mentions that he had poured one, poured one in the chamber pot, and Codicus was after him, and he had to drink it. So it's, it's you know, we he's he's letting him see a little bit about what's going on with his health. Yeah, and the other part of it, too, that I thought was interesting, um, you know, because I take notes on my second read-through, is, you know, the first read-through, he starts going on about his symptoms, right? You know, and I'm reading through it the first time, and I'm like, blah, whatever. You know, I don't I don't care. You know, I'm not putting two and two together. But when I go back through it and I read it the second time, he's saying, you know, sometimes I take the medicines, and I'm only good for a span, Sometimes I take the medicines and I'm good for a month. One time I took the medicines and I was good for almost a year. Now, the reason why I remarked on that is that if Quoth is right about what this is and and what it is that he's been drinking, then those symptoms don't make sense. 
Now, it could be that this guy's been switching things up, mm-hmm. you know, to keep it more realistic. I, I don't know. We don't know why this guy's poisoning him, so it's hard to predict. But it just seemed to me that those set of symptoms, you, you know, they're not this continuously progressive thing like you would think they would be. Right. So, and since I haven't read chapter 61, like apparently I was supposed to, uh, <laughs> um, you know, I've, I'm missing some information there. Um. So, yeah, let's move on to chapter 57. Agreed. Where we meet another character. Yeah. Yeah. The old man with the crazy hair. <laughs> so the chapter is called A Handful of Iron. And... um. That's significant because it's talking about the the ring system that they have here. Um, it, it's a system of sort of calling cards. And um, do you want to go into that a little bit, or do you want me to have me? No, I mean, I think it? I mean people who have read it, so I don't think we need right. to, to recite it to them. But essentially, it it's it's a a way of asking for an audience, and also a way of kind of marking status. And it's interesting in this chapter because Quoth does not officially have any status. This comes kind of, this chapter comes kind of on the tail or it starts with him and the last chapter kind of ends with all these people calling on him, trying to figure things out and Quoth not telling them anything. He hasn't been officially introduced. So everyone's trying to figure out, is this a merchant's son? Is this, you know, a bastard son? Is this... Uh, some foreign dignitary is that, you know, who is this guy and how do we treat him? And Quoth won't give anybody an answer. Right. So Quoth is in there. He's playing the game, but you get the sense that he's sort of treading water at possibly surrounded by sharks, you know, but he's just kind of taking it one day at a time. And one thing I, I found interesting in a previous chapter that I forgot to mention was how Quoth mentions the the closet full of new clothes that the mayor gave him and how it made him feel so much better, not because now he could fit in with the society, but because um, if it came down to the 11th day and he hadn't gotten any money from the mayor, he could steal them and sell them and get his loot back. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. that's how important that is to him, that even as crucial as this venture is and a possibly life-changing, he's only giving it 11 days. Because yeah. <laughs> he's 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 going to get his loot back, and like as important as this is, eh, if it doesn't work out, I'll burn every bridge. <laughs> he's still ultimately a trooper. Exactly. So just that he's so willing to just uproot and just. Well, and that kind of speaks to you know what we've what we learned in the ignorant Edamaru chapter, and mm-hmm. and and what we see in the conversation about about power is that you know, people come to these things kind of with their own perspective and they see everything kind of within their own framework, but there's always other frameworks that that are out there that, you know, may be more appropriate in a given set of circumstances, you know, and Quoth is ultimately more concerned about his own music and also so confident in his abilities to kind of just get along that he, like you said, he is willing to burn these bridges. This isn't all that important to him. Yeah. So what did you think of Breeden? Breeden or Brayden, do you think? I thought it was Brayden, but um, but who, who knows? We'll call him Brayden. We'll call him Brayden. We'll call him until somebody tells, tells us otherwise. Somebody so, will tell us. Yeah, somebody who has the, uh, you know, the, the audio book will let us know. 
I mean, I thought it was it was interesting in the um, you know slew of people who have come by and visiting. You know this. You know who didn't really get a lot of uh, description, and thankfully they didn't because we didn't really need it. But this is actually an interesting guy. He introduces him to the game of talk, which we know is going to be important. And also gives him a lot of information around kind of the rules and the conduct in vintage noble society. I question whether or not this guy is more than he seems kind of on the surface. You know, is so for instance, on the surface, he seems like somebody who's kind of somewhere in the middle of the nobility ranks who's been playing the game for a long time, kind of jaded of it, and just is generally, you know, interested in kind of playing a game with this guy oh and by the way you know if he makes a friend and that friend you know gets the ear of the mayor outstanding you know kind of what he says is the way i sort of take him but there's also the other side of it which is that this guy could be this guy is probably sizing quoth up I think we can assume that everyone we meet is sizing him up True. at this point. True. But I think the question that, that we can't really answer at this at this point is, who is he sizing him up for? Right. You know, is it for Mayor Alvaron? Is Did Mayor Alvaron send this guy to talk to him? Uh, you know, to try to see if he was really as intelligent as he seemed? To Did he, you know... He knows the rumor mill is going to happen anyway, and he's not really getting anything out of that. Does So does he send somebody with a little bit more charisma in there to see if he knows Quoth is not willingly betraying any information, but would he sort of unwittingly betray information to somebody who's much more savvy? You know, so it could be a test on that level. This could be Master Ash. <gasps> you went right there, you brilliant boy. I love it. You know what caused me to think that? Mm-hmm. They describe this gentleman. He has no color. I have the line right in front of me. It's on page 388. It says, his colors weren't colors at all, merely ash gray and dark charcoal. Yep. His hair is white. Mm-hmm. He has brown eyes. That's the only thing that isn't white or black. And if you remember when Denna um, and Quoth were talking and Quoth sort of blurts out this name, Denna looks startled for a moment and um, as if the name was very fitting. Mm. I'm pretty sure I'm right about that. I believe you. I could be making that up in my brain. I believe you, yeah. But I'm pretty sure I'm right. So, yes, definitely I have also speculated that. I think that's a great speculation. Yeah, this could. That this could be Master Ash. This could be Master Ash. All right, so yeah, so that's it. I'm done. What do you got? Um, no, I mean, I I like the character character of Brayden. Um, it's refreshing after the last couple of chapters with this sort of plodding conversation yeah. with the mayor, sort of tentative, to have a character come through who is seemingly very straightforward and charismatic and who seems to sort of click with right away. Yeah, it's just kind of fun. They play this game called Tack, which by the way, you can buy. Yeah, you can. Yeah, so that's pretty exciting and we might have to get that. Um I can't believe we don't already own it. Well you haven't gotten to this part of the books yet. So I've been waiting. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Um so so yeah, um I'm I'm excited to try and do that. And um yeah, I don't know, it just that's all really kind of all I've got 
for that chapter as well. Um, yeah, I'm curious. I mean, I really hope, you know, I'm, I'm fairly confident that we'll see this character again. I don't, I don't know, obviously, but I, I think we're going to see this character again, and I'm hoping that we'll learn more about who this character is, uh, you know, when we get a little bit deeper into it. So I'm, not, I'm trying to not think too deeply about this particular character. Well, no, and at the end of the chapter, they set up a time to meet later. Yeah. And, um, it, you know, it's this, the significance of that is that Brayden... Um, reveals to him that by stopping by so him stopping by quilt's rooms without sending a card or a, or a servant first um was done deliberately so that he there was no opportunity for him to reveal his rank and so yeah. he could give quilt a silver ring which is like just a very subtle so so apparently invent you know the rings that you get are displayed and he's gotten all these iron rings because everyone assumes that he's beneath him now brayden has given him a silver ring yeah which um is a ring given to equals which is just to kind of throw people off yeah and i'm gonna cause kind of a tizzy in the court um because as people are trying to figure out who quoth is so and it seems obviously a smart and a subtle player as well yeah and it seems like he's doing that simply because he he enjoys kind of watching, you know, watching the little birds flit around and and enjoys sort of the drama of it. But there may there may very well be another reason for it, you know, that we don't know about. True. So we'll find out. All right. So chapter fifty eight is called courting. It, it, this is an interesting set of section to me because it it just sort of like each chapter has more and more sort of stakes and more and more significant. Each one's just a little bit more important than the last. You just don't always get that, like that clean kind of escalation, but that's the way it seems to me. So this one, 57, more important than 56, 58, definitely more important than 57. There's some important stuff going on here. So why don't you lay that out for us a little bit? So the big part, of what happens here is that Quoth is summoned, uh, summoned to Mayor Alvaron's room. And really what happens here is that we finally find out from Mayor Alvaron why he, at least ostensibly, why he has summoned Quoth. You know, why the discretion is important, why he wanted somebody who wasn't from around here, and, you know, what he wants him to do. And what he wants him to do is to is to star in the movie Roxanne with uh, with Steve <laughs> Martin and uh, and that blonde haired chick whose name I can't remember um, exactly. <laughs> so he wants him to he wants him to court Meloan Lackless. Yes, that's what he wants him to do. And I have a I have a confession to make. Confess. The first time I read this chapter, it was fairly late at night, and I read it as Meloan Jackus. Oh. And I was like... And you were like, oh, snap! Exactly. (laughs) I was like, he wants him to, you know, he wants him to woo Ambrose's older sister, you know, like, (laughs) or aunt, or... Somebody like that. So were you disappointed when you went back and realized that it wasn't that juicy? No, 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 no. No, not at all. I think it may actually be more juicy. Mm -hmm. Um, But I was like, and, and, you know, 
again, my whole, uh, you know, the Illuminati is real streak I've got going on with this book right now. Um, I was like, I knew this Ambrose motherfucker was involved somehow or would be involved. Right. You went on a whole thing about that. Of course I did. A thousand miles away, but you can't get away from this motherfucker. I Mm -hmm. told you to keep your mouth shut. (laughs) All the way back in chapter 14, I was like, shut your mouth. Like... (laughs) You don't want to, there's there's nothing more dangerous than a hurricane or a, a rich lord's son, like you know. So it's not. It's uh, Meloan Lackless. who we have heard that name before. And when I when I reread it and I saw, oh, it's Lady Lackless. Mm-hmm. Of course, I went back and I searched for every reference right to Lady Lackless. Yes. And yes, we heard about Lady Lackless way back in the very beginning of the book, you know, and you don't put a Lady Lackless on the wall in Act One and not expect to break her out somewhere in Act Three. Right. So that tells me that this is a this is important. And I went back, I did a lot of reading on Lady Lackless. And and um I I don't wanna give too many of my predictions away, but I do have, I, I did go back and, ah, damn it, I'm completely falling apart here. <laughs> I swear to God, I know how to speak English. So I went back and I read all kinds of stuff about Lady Lackless. And right. I'm, I'm trying to figure out what's the best way to kind of like organize this stuff and, and go through and talk about it. But Well, one of the first things we heard about Lady Lackless was a, we know these are important, a cryptic children's rhyme Yeah. in the first book. Uh, some lady lackless, you know, has, a, we know that she has a box. It's, she keeps her husband's rocks there. We, you know, whatever. Um, I don't know if you, you have a copy of it or. Well, I, I read, I went back and read it. Yeah. Right. For so, sure I did. you know, the fact that there's now this character is coming up. And if you remember in the book, when Quoth is sort of singing the song, his mother hears it and gets uncharacteristically angry with him. And he thinks it's because, oh, there's a sexual innuendo there. But really, it's because she says, hey, you know, Lady Lackless is a real person with real feelings. And it's not kind to say these things about her. Yeah. Which is just an interesting tidbit. Yeah, absolutely. And we I went back and I read kind of those introductions. And like there's another reference to Lady Lackless fairly kind of in the middle of uh, The Name of the Wind where they start kind of talking about. Ambrose and the Jackus family right. and where he fits into the power structure in Vint and Sim, you know, and, and Manette's trying to talk about it in straightforward terms. And Sims is like, Oh no, actually they're the 16th, you know, cause he's just full of random information. And what we find out is that the Lackless family is actually higher in status than Ambrose's family, but kind of somewhere in between mayor Alvaron and um, and the Jackus family is kind of where the Lacklesses lie. So they're pretty high up in the sort of vintage uh, power structure there. Yes, indeed. And so um, now we kind of realize why the mayor has been sort of circling so carefully and um, trying to make a judgment of Quoth because this is, you know, a very delicate and a sensitive matter and probably takes a little a little bit of a blow to his pride to have to ask to someone else to do something like this. And and I think that's probably the only logical reason for why he had to kind of go outsource somebody from a thousand miles away 
if you remember, one of the things I said is in my whole tirade about why this was a trap is I said that there's no way you can convince me that this guy doesn't know somebody who's young and glib of tongue. Right. Like that's ludicrous, right? right? So, but if he doesn't have anybody that he can go to to make this kind of request of who wouldn't, where it wouldn't potentially be able to be used against him. Right. Now he does have tons of people for whom he holds intense power over them. Right. So he could definitely manipulate somebody or coerce somebody into doing something along these lines, but that doesn't necessarily, that's not necessarily a good thing either. Right. And it's interesting that you bring up the idea of power because we've just had a whole chapter where these two characters discuss, you know, power as an abstract concept. And right as, so so the mayor sends Quoth out of the room with, one of his iron rings to go to Codicus to not only get his medicine, but to also get some information about um, Meloan Lockless hmm. and um, to kind of get him started. Yeah. Um, of course, he's not to tell Codicus why he needs that information. But as Quoth leaves the room, you know, and the mayor is falling asleep, he sort of starts muttering and he says some, you know, what he says is sometimes they don't give it knowingly. Sometimes they don't give it willingly. Nevertheless, all power. And at this moment, the mayor has perhaps unwittingly given Quoth a bit of power over him. So now Quoth knows a pretty big secret that the mayor wants to keep hidden, and he is giving him power to act in a in a situation with that the mayor has some pretty strong feelings about. Because it's obvious that he doesn't just want to court Lady Lackless for her status, that he actually is has some affection for her. And this is something that it's not going to come easily to him or he can't just get because of his status. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Now, yeah, I wrote that quote down as well. Uh, I definitely didn't have as clear of a sense as to what it meant as you've kind of put forward there. But it was something I put a lot of time into, into looking at. What does this mean, you know? Right. And uh, I think it's it's a bit of a shifting of the power. And um, that's what this whole section of chapters talks about a whole lot. A bit of shifting of power between Quoth and the mayor. Yeah. And I think that, you know, also that Quoth was able to kind of guess what he wanted from right. him was, was sort of shocking to the mayor. The other thing I noticed as well is that, you know, so Quoth makes all the, he, Quoth makes all these guesses as to what's going on. And for the most part, they're accurate, with the exception of one. He says, um, you know, I feel that, you know, you love this woman. And Mayor Alvarana is like, mm, she would be deserving of love. But like he, you know. I think he just didn't want to admit that to Quoth because this is someone who's very, needs to be in control. He's not going to admit to this guy that he, or or even to himself that he's, fallen in love with someone and see this is this is where this is where my wheels start spinning and i start thinking of all these all these things you know i'm like oh this is what's going on and i start making the building up all these predictions and then you and i sit down and we discuss these predictions and i realize you've read these books and just start poking holes in my little bubbles (laughs) i'm like well that's 
fucking wrong. <laughs> oh, the inadvertent spoiler. I'm sorry. I try not to. It's, it's okay. It's but right. as we near the end, I get excited about. So I have to be really careful about not having my own predictions because obviously I know I know what happens at the end of the book and what hasn't happened yet. So I try yeah, yeah. not to. I try not to do that, but I can't help it. Yeah, I, just, I'm, I mean, I'm going to make my stupid predictions anyway because at least they're entertaining. They are entertaining. So, so and I'll, I'll just sit here with a straight face. I'll make my stupid wrong predictions, my <laughs> so, bombastic cataclysmic predictions <laughs> about Quoth's demise at the hands of somebody. Everything's a trap. Everywhere I look, there's a trap. Um. So, speaking of which, let's talk about Codicus. Yeah, you want to go into He's chapter fifty nine? Shady motherfucker. Yeah, let's talk about chapter fifty nine. So yeah. fifty nine is where Quoth goes and visits uh, Cauticus and uh, watches him build the medicine for Cauticus, and also learns a little bit more about the Lackless family. And then when he goes back and takes the medicine to Mayor Alberon. He tells him at the very, very end of the uh, chapter that Cauticus is poisoning him. Dun, 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 dun. dun. Yeah. Right. So I particularly loved seeing both sort of act the, the sort of gleefully act the stupid nobleman. Yeah, this was interesting to me. Like, I, I felt like this was a character moment mm-hmm. um, because it seems to me that Quoth is a person who is brilliant and has a hard time not showing everybody just how brilliant he is. So the fact that he kind of, you know, this is in his wheelhouse, right? Right. Like, and this is a situation where Quoth would normally probably get excited to want to talk to this guy, you know, and and talk about and show off what he knows. You know, our, the old quote would have walked in there and been like, blue candles. I'm not some, you know, dumbass noble off the streets. That's for show. Right. Like, but that's not what he does. He he does the smart thing. He holds his tongue. He goes in there. He plays it up. The other thing I felt was interesting is that Coat and Quoth also in the narration, you know, sort of the sort of the at the meta level also likes to show off what he knows. And so he would not, like, all while he's building the potion, the first time I'm reading it, I'm like, why is he calling it some root and some weird powder? He would know what this stuff is. Well, and he's like, I've never seen a potion being made before. What's that dragon on the wall, right? Oh, you know? it's dragon, but that's, you know. But that's, what he's, but that's what he's saying, like, kind of at the, you know, at the... Those are the actual words that are coming out of his mouth because that's oh, how Oh, you're talking about his internal dialogue. Yeah, but his internal dialogue, he's not, I mean, he's not really, it's not really internal dialogue. He's telling it to Chronicler, right? Right. But even with that, this is typically where he would still try to show how smart he was. And so as I'm reading it, I'm like, why is he like, you know, it's one thing for him. We know he's acting the dummy. But but even in his, we'll call it his internal dialogue, he's still playing this kind of ignorant role. Well, he might not honestly know what the roots and powders are. Well, he probably doesn't know what they all are. Right. But he definitely knows, he definitely knew he was mixing up lead. Right. And, and, um, and dinner resin. He knew that. 
Right. He can tell something. And maybe yeah, it just yeah. wasn't very important to that part of the story. No, I, I found it to be kind of a, I thought it was kind of a character thing, particularly, mm-hmm. you know, particularly the way he acted kind of overtly, that he was able to pull that off. Right. And you, he you definitely know he was chomping sort of, at the bit. He, he sort of pretty deftly, it seems, manipulates Codicus yeah. into um, finding a good reason to get information about the Lackless family. Yeah, what I wrote down in my notes is that Quoth wears his lies as easily as his own skin. Ooh, nice one. He But he just slipped into it. He didn't have to think mm-hmm. about it. He, and he was like, I was kind of proud of that one. Right. You know? But he really does. He, he finds the perfect way to get him talking mm-hmm. and, um, and also to be able to kind of observe him. Yes, absolutely. And so he finds out something interesting about the Lackless family. Yes, and this is this was kind of where I took a little bit more notes. So he says that the Lackless family has a secret door without a handle or a hinge. It's locked, but at the same time, it's lockless. And then, so if we we go back to um, chapter eleven of the Name of the Wind. They start um, talking about, that's where they have the song. And in the song, they say she has, I don't remember if it's a door or it might be a box or something like without a handle or a hinge. Yes. In the song, there's something in the song about how she has a... a, a Lady Luckless has a box. Yeah. Um, where she keeps her husband's rocks with, with no handle. I'm, I'm just... Without a handle or a hinge or something yeah. like that. Yeah. If you go back and you read also the first time that Quoth sees the four-plate door in the archives, it's described the same way. Mm. He's like, it's a door. There's no handle. There's no hinge. Yet it's clearly a door. And then um, he describes how the four copper plates are clearly some sort of lock, but not at all any kind of lock that you've ever seen. So a couple couple conclusions I drew from that. So I feel like um, also it says in the song... It leads me to believe in the song that it's sort of like a another door or portal. I believe, and this is I'm kind of dipping into my predictions here earlier, but I believe that the lackless door and the four plate door, as well as all the graystones, are all connected. That is a very interesting speculation. My bet is that the the door that uh, Lady Lackless has, it's in the Lackless family, probably looks an awful lot like the four-plate door. Hmm. You know, and they may, they either go the same way or they might go to each other, but there's a connection there for sure. And it sounds like this is one of the oldest families on the continent. So I'm willing to bet that by interacting with Lady Lackless, he's going to learn way more about the Amir and way more about what we want to know than he ever did at the university. That is a very interesting speculation. My other speculation is that the name Lackless is actually a bastardization of the word lockless because Mm. they have a lockless door. Very observant there. So that's my... That's my take. Also, Codicus is poisoning Mayor Alberon. Yes. So that's a pretty big bomb that gets dropped at the end of the chapter. Yeah. And then uh, we go into I, chapter 60. I had to go back and do an awful lot of reading of The Name of the Wind. Really? Yes, you did. I mean, not just for this, but for something else we'll talk about at the mm-hmm. end of the podcast, too. 
Like I feel like I reread the first half of Name the Wind this I, week. And I feel like that at this point in this book, I got really excited as well and went back and started reading the first book again because it's it's just really exciting when a, an author can keep a thread going. Yeah, yeah. You know, and obviously had this this story planned. Well, and if you don't ca- I mean if you weren't reading it this slowly or you didn't catch cuz goodness knows there are things we don't catch particularly on the first time through. If you don't catch the song, you don't catch Lady Lackless, you don't talk about it as much as we do, then you miss the fact that it that handle you know, without handle, without hinge has been said like three times. You miss that. It's an easy thing to miss. And so you don't realize I didn't realize the first time through, because I thought it was Jackus, you know, I didn't catch it the first time through. Even when he was because I was I guess I was tired when I was reading it, even when he's talking about to Cauticus, and he's saying, oh, I need to find out something about the Lackless family. In my head, I just replaced him with the Ambrose family. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't think to go back and be like, oh, that's why we've heard about Lady Lackless. You know, and... Right, you know, and I think that's why, like, I've been able... You, you know, you're able to read this series so many times, and it doesn't get old, you know, um, because it is just so well-crafted. Yeah, I love books that you get more out of them the second time you read them. Right. I think that's why I love Song of Ice and Fire so much. Yeah. Because, you know, it's a book that the second, third read-through is more enjoyable than the first read-through. Uh, yeah, I agree. And you don't always, you don't always get that. Mm-hmm. All right, so that's all I have for 59. So chapter 60 is called Wisdom's Tool. Yeah. <laughs> Such a tool. Sorry. Quoth is such a tool. <laughs> All right. Anyway, so this is where it was kind of a frustrating interaction with Mayor Alvaron. I understood it, but where Quoth was like, you were poisoned. And Mayor Alvaron is attempting to, he wants to hear what he has to say, but he's also being kind of a dick about it. You understand it because you get that this man is in considerable discomfort. Right. And being drugged. And also is not used to people speaking frankly to him yeah clearly but basically this is where quote sort of explains himself and then also has an opportunity to kind of go to town with a purse full of mayor alvaron's money to buy things that would prove what quote is saying and also maybe help remedy some of the symptoms that he's having so he goes through and because he believes he's being followed and rightly, I'm sure rightly so, or yes. being observed, he takes his time, he buys some things he doesn't really need to buy, he goes, he has dinner, he really kind of makes a stay of it to try to drive people off of his tail, does some clever things to hide what he's buying. Right. I thought it was pretty clever. Um, and then ultimately, the last thing he does is he goes and gets his loot out of hock. And then he's on his way, returning back to the manor, and who does he run into? Goddamn Denna. Fucking Denna. <laughs> For fuck's sake. <laughs> and this is why also why I thought this was the logical place to end this section. Mm-hmm. Because it's not the first time we've ended a section on, hey, here we are in a strange town. And and who shows up? <laughs> Fucking Denna. <laughs> and I believe we said the same thing back then, too. Fucking Denna. Fucking Denna. What the hell are you doing here? Like, <laughs> and it's a little, it's beginning to get a little bit ridiculous. 
Well, and again, and you had already kind of gone to the the possibility that Brayden was Master Ash. Yeah. And for me, it was a couple times through the books where I started to think that. Um, and it was it was Denna showing up that was kind of like and knowing that her patron was well somewhere near. Well, yeah. What what got me to think it because I didn't pick up on it the first time through is the bruise on her face. Right. And I and I'm starting to do the mental math. I'm like, no, there's no way in hell that's the same bruise. Like it's right. been way too goddamn long. And, and Brayden's yeah. just a little too too likable. I want to say right off the bat. Yeah, that it just makes me feel like there's another layer to him. There, there could be. There definitely could be. But yeah, for me, it was the bruise. Yeah, it's the same spot. And we've had speculation that you know she was a victim of abuse probably all of her life but we don't really know but what we do know we do know for a fact that one person has hit her in the head and caused her to bruise and it's master ash so i don't know in one of my predictions i don't know if Braden's master ash but master ash is r- around yes for sure for sure you know and it this now is too damn many times that he shows up in a strange town and Denna just happens to be there. Right? Yes, it, many it, people feel that way. It's too damn many times, right? Yeah. So, you know, it's one thing for the day that he's leaving Tarby and her to be on the wagon train. Okay, nothing strange about that. But then, you know, she shows up a couple months in Imre. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, if, if you had a friend that you ran into one time you met on like a trip somewhere and then you moved to Boston and lo and behold, they're in Boston. You'd be like, wow. Right. What a coincidence. That's really cool. You know, but when you also go and take a business trip to New York and they show up in the hotel room in New York. It's like, wow, this is uncanny. And then a year later, when you get a new job in L.A. And you go to lunch your fourth day on the job. And she's at the restaurant. She's stalking you. Now bitch. she's a fucking stalker. Yeah. Like, <laughs> this, is, this is no longer a cool coincidence. <laughs> You know, so if we didn't, if we weren't already in the den as a spy camp, how could you even doubt it at this point? And it was so hard for me. And I'm so glad you like went to the den as a spy camp early on in the book when you did, because it's so hard not to talk about that. But for a lot of people, it's not until she shows up in Severin that that they're like, holy crap, what is what is she up to? Yeah, yeah. You know? A bit too much. A bit too much. So, but let's go back and talk a little more about the mayor and Cauticus and the whole interaction where Quoth is trying to convince him. Okay, yeah, yeah. We jumped right to the end. Yeah. We jumped right to the end because that was exciting. Because it's fucking Denna. Because it's fucking Jesus Denna, my God. Like Maybe, went, you know what? Halfway across it, the known world, we think we get a break from I take it all back. She's not a spy. She's not a spy. I've got to figure it figured out. Okay. Master Ash has finally perfected the art of cloning 
and there's just a Denna in every town. <laughs> they share a Borg mind. <laughs> Maybe it's really a sci-fi novel, and she's, yeah. Perhaps she's this is 10,000 years in the future. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. Go ahead. But, okay, so, because Quoth goes through a pretty um, harrowing kind of situation here where he's attempting to convince the mayor that Cauticus is poisoning him. The mayor does not react to the news well. No, and and this could, I mean, his whole future, if he is or isn't going to be with this guy, this whole myth notion of a patron, which I still think is, I still have opinions about that. But anyway, it, it it's all sitting on a knife's edge right here in this chapter. Right, and both is... Um, faced with the mayor being really furious at him oh, yeah. a few times and it's frightening to him he kind of realizes like oh my gosh this guy like is kind of the real deal like he could he could end me oh yeah you know he could end quoth easily it wouldn't necessarily even be a matter of oh you're disgraced get out of my service but oh yeah yeah absolutely and he mentions that in the very beginning of this section that these people not only have power but privilege they can do what they want to with you it's a different set of laws invent right so which kind of in some part doesn't excuse but helps you to understand a little bit more why ambrose is like he is yes I, i i'm not excusing anything he's done but it but it helps you understand a little bit more why because that's kind of a little bit more normative invent Right. And so, um, you know, and, and we know how Quoth tends to treat Ambrose. Yeah. And so um, he kind of is realizing that he needs to tread a little more carefully with the mayor. Yeah. And that even though the mayor agrees to his plan, which is to start giving the medicine to these birds. The birds, yeah. Um, that he doesn't fully trust him. No, yeah. And, well, and, and to be honest, I feel like he trusts Quoth a little too much for my take, taking. My take on that is that I think when Quoth finally convinces him that the mayor has probably been maybe deep down kind of suspecting this all along. Mm, maybe, yeah. You know, and when he first mentions Codicus, he talks about dump, you know, he's angry because I dumped his medicine out and I didn't yeah, drink yeah, it. Yeah, 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 so yeah. I wonder if, you know, even though he reacts with anger at what Quoth is first telling him, it also really starts to kind of make sense. Well, maybe his in his sleeping mind, he's always known. Oh, his sleeping mind has always known. And that's why he just dumps it out. Right. So maybe he's never really cognitively stated it before, but it's sort of always been there buried deep down. But it still seems strange to me. And here's the thing. This person you've only known for five or six days, I guess it's been 10 days now, shows up and is like, hey, here's how we get this out of your system. Even though he knows all these crazy things that have been going on with you, he could have learned that other ways. Mm-hmm. And then he's like, but I want to get you laudanum and there's some other things I can... I don't believe you would... It seems strange to me that you would allow that person to work any kind of medicine or anything like that on you, especially when the source of your fear and anxiety and betrayal is through medicine. Like, I don't believe, like, that seems very, very strange to me that he would have that much trust in him. Now, on the other hand, he hasn't really done anything yet. He hasn't allowed Quoth to give him anything yet. If the birds die, he may, that may change his opinion on what's going on. You know what I mean? But 
but I found his trust in quotes to be a little strange. But what's his option, really? Well, I, I mean, given that this entire matter is extremely sensitive and it's not something he wants getting out to the court um, or getting uh, out to anyone else. I feel like he's got a lot of options. There are a lot of things he could do. But, you know, but but letting this strange, you know, what he thinks 20-year-old redhead from the other side of town come in and start giving him drugs? Well, who else in the area is an arcanist who would know anything about the subject? Well, I guess my my point is, is he could simply fire Cauticus and you know, and, and write to the university, you know what I mean? Or there there are other, he, he's got such a network and a, there are other ways that he could accomplish this other than through using quote. I I would be suspicious. Clearly we've talked about this. I clearly must be a suspicious person by nature, but I would be suspicious of this person who just told me this information that I didn't really know very well. I mean, I don't want to really get bogged down. I don't either. In, into a debate about this. I'm just going to disagree that I think, yeah. you know, we've talked about this before, that my perception is the university is much more separate from the rest of the world. Like, people don't just write to the university, mm-hmm. especially mm-hmm. from as far away as Vint. You know, when Kvothe says he's from the university, the mayor's like, what university? Yeah. You know, yeah, he doesn't. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't know anyone there. Yeah, and I just threw that out as a, um, as a possible. But like he, he has an arcanist on staff, but there's no one else in the surrounding area who would know anything about these matters at all. So yeah. I don't I don't really see that as but that's just my opinion. So but I, and I think we should move on because yeah. it's probably going to be boring. Well, we I, can I, fight I, later. <laughs> well, and I don't ultimately think that's going to matter much. So I'm with you. Let's let's move on. So, but anyway, Quoth is able to talk his way through and also get a sweet purse off the mare. Yeah. In addition, and I and I like that he still kind of was able to work that, like, because he had been um, trying to come up with a way to ask the mayor for money anyway to get his loot back, and he is he is able to get his loot back. Yeah. What I don't know is I don't really know how much eight vintage silver, you know, silver bits is or whatever. I don't know how much money that is. But I'm a little concerned, and I'm probably overthinking it, but I'm a little concerned that Quoth is going to show back up there, and he's going to suddenly have this loot and an extraordinarily expensive loot case and an empty purse. Now, we know that that was his, but to somebody who doesn't know him, did he just go out on the town? He, the The bulk of the money that he spent was not on the things that he needed for Mayor Alvaron. It was for food. It was for distractions. It was, you know, and I don't think he made a poor decision. I think he did the right thing. But he also just basically took his money and paid off his debt. See, the way that I read things, Mayor Alvaron is someone who is so rich that he bought, quote, an entire wardrobe of lavish clothes. Yeah. Without even blinking. Yeah, didn't even think about it. This was like... This was like you or me reaching in our pocket and, and, oh, there's 20 bucks. Here you go. Yeah, yeah. Like, I don't, I never saw that reading through as like that was going to be a problem. I'm just thinking it, it's, if somebody wanted to try to drive a wedge between the two of them, it's potential ammunition. But I don't know that there's anybody who would. So we'll see. 
So let's go on to your predictions. Yes, let's go on to my predictions. So my um, so my I made my prediction about the doors between Lackless and the university. Uh, I I said in I said in my prediction I said getting uh, buying his loot on Mayor Alvaron's dime was a mistake. We'll see, um, and that Master Ash is nearby based on the bruise on Denna's face, potentially even Braden. Uh, but there's one more. So those were all ones that kind of came up already, but I question whether or not Mayor Alvaron. Is actually in is actually looking to court Lady Lackless. I'm wondering if he might actually be engaged in some sort of a plot against Lady Lackless, or potentially trying to get information about Lady Lackless that he can't get on his own. So I question whether or not this motive of courting Lady Lackless is legitimate. Okay. That's those are all good predictions. So those are those are my predictions. So I'm excited. I'm excited to move forward and I am too. Yeah, I haven't started uh, yeah, I haven't I haven't started reading yet. I won't I'll never start reading until after we do the podcast. Right. So it's it's been a while since I've actually got a chance to sit down and read. So Woo. Man. Man. All, all right, right, so what else do you have for us? So we want to talk about, typically this would be where we would talk about listener interactions. How, and we will. However, typically there's a week between podcasts, not three weeks between podcasts. So we have, we, we would have to have a whole separate two-hour podcast to go through all the interactions. And frankly, I don't think that's all that interesting you know, to folks to, to spell it all out in that level of detail. But I do want to give shout outs to all the people who have interacted with us. Oh, so yeah. I'm going to read through this as quickly and efficiently as I can. Hang on to your hats. <laughs> listen for your name to be called. And then there's one interaction that we have to talk about. There's a lot of these I really would like to talk about. Right. But there's one we absolutely have to talk about. So, thank you to Daryl Mansell at Sea Delicious, who's really been a trooper for us. Hey, Daryl, and I, I love your Tom Marilyn video. He's been knuckling them mustaches. It was, that, that really made me laugh. That was a good one. Um, and he's, been, he's really been outstanding for us, doing a great job of sharing and doing exactly what we asked, so we thank you for yeah, that. Yeah, Daryl, you rock. Um, Ian James Crone at Ian Crone, and Crone is K-R-O-H-N. Right. Lot to lot to say about Ian, uh, Theo at the OGB, um, Elliot Cossum, Cossum, not Cosm. I said Cosm last time. Oh, okay. At Buddy Reads WPHD, um, Chuck Spurlock on Facebook, um, also J Ricard or Ricard. I'm not quite sure how to pronounce that, but it's at J J A W. Excuse me, J A Y R E Q U A R D. Temple Punk at Stuart Stone 3, Nick Whitfield at, I'm going to spell this one, N-I-C-I-N-H-O 15. Uh, the Nerdy Bitches at Nerdy Bitches Pod, 
Hey, nerdy bitches. That's right. Mandy of Cast Request at Cast Request. A-D-A-D-D dot at Axiom Delver. Love that one. Um, the Pat Man, Pat Sponagle at Patman23. Aria of Susans at Barbie Sue, B-A-R-B-I-S-U. Angie Knows It at Angie Knows It. Izzy, Izzy Kennedy at Isabella C-N-D. Uh, Daniel Salas at D underscore A underscore Salas, S-A-L-A-S. Al Swearingen at The Real Peterman. Everybody knows who that is. Uh, Reshi at uh, Rashiels. I don't know how to pronounce that. It sounds very French. R-E-S-H-I-L-L-E-S. Uh, Steph at Stepha Maybe. Dow Harris at Sir underscore Dow. That's D-O-W. Parzival at Parzival 55. Adam at LFC Adam 88 underscore 18 underscore 5. Kingles at Kingles 10. Br- Peter V. Brett at PV Brett. Uh, Travis Dundas at Travis underscore Dundas. Rodney at Tatted Code Monkey. Mackenzie Cohen at Mackenzie Cohen. Mackenzie M A C K E N Z I Cohen C O A N. Ron Spikes at Spikes R D. Uh, Ashara Dank at Lies and Arbor. Brian Stavely at Brian Stavely. And Brunhilder Brunhilder at Burn Bridgets. So that's B U R N B R I G E T T E S. Holy crap. Thank you all. We we did get, um, there's one more thing I want to talk about after this, but we did and, get a lovely review oh, also nice. from the Nerdy Bitches on our, uh, on our iTunes. Oh, thank you, Nerdy Bitches. We need to return the favor. I don't know, what, like I, I don't, I have to go in and on my computer and actually go in and, and give there's we we owe some people some reviews there's a lot of podcasts i listen to yeah and some of them i've already given reviews to but not all of them so and we i'm owe them just review. so like i signed up for twitter in like 2008 and i got on there i was like oh no it just wasn't i was like this is just not for me it's a bunch of strangers and talking to other strangers and it didn't click for me until we started this podcast and I jumped back on and just like interacting with this niche of, of people who are so passionately into the same things that I'm into. Now I get it. And I'm just, yeah. I'm really enjoying it. You know, yeah. having someone more than like you and grace to talk about yeah. my nerd books with. Well, and uh, Brunhilde, you know, commented on Twitter today and said essentially the same thing. She's like, I'd really love to share your podcast with other people but I don't know anybody else who listens. To, and I'm like, yeah, that's basically why we started the podcast. Exactly. Because we were the same You know, my boat. mom's like, should I listen to your podcast? And I'm like, no, mom, no. <laughs> I mean, I mean I'm mean, i not going to stop I mean, you. But she, you can. She can if she wants to, but it, I said you'll be horribly poor. <laughs> exactly, exactly. No, it is, it is really fantastic. Now, we had so many really good interactions. I would love to like, go in and talk about each of these things but but we just we can't but there is one we have to talk about which one and that is what came from ian crone oh tell me where he said in a loving way i can't believe in episode three you guys missed where scarpy called quoth by his name Oh, that's right and then i fell onto the floor when i read that tweet Onto the floor. Actually, there's two more things we need to do. Yeah. But we um, but we do need to talk about that. Yeah. Because that caused me to go back and start rereading that section and start 
you know, really started to kind of the ball rolling for me in yeah. a, lot of, a lot of different areas. The um, one thing that kills me about this is when he said it, I was like, oh, yeah. I remembered it when he said it. But clearly it didn't really register. I have never picked up on that ever. Uh, maybe I didn't. Maybe I just thought I did. I don't know. But because all the speculation we had where I was like, but who would know who this, you know, little street urchin is would have been colored a different way if I had recalled that. You know, if I had recalled that, it would have really changed the way I looked at the two guys who tried to mug him. Right. The, you know, like all these things, it changes so many things. Yeah. And it colors so many things in sort of a different way. Yeah. So, so that's one... Um, although we got great comments on the website, there's all these things I want to talk about, but I feel like this really impacts the story and our understanding of the story. And absolutely. I went back, I'm sorry. I said, absolutely. And I went back and I reread kind of all those sections and it, and it caused me to come to some realizations, but I, but I've been talking for too damn long, so I'm going to turn it over to you. Oh, I just wanted to, um, to shout out, um, to, Oh, God, I can't talk today either. God help me. Tell the story mm-hmm. of being on vacation oh, and yeah. um, reading uh, these books, this this new series I picked up, The uh, the Emperor's Blades, the Unhewn Throne series by Brian Staveley, and accidentally picking up the third book first and getting like, uh, I don't know, a, a few chapters in and being like, wow, this book really like throws you out in the middle of, yeah, I don't know what the hell is going on. And then like, oh, wait, no, this is actually the third book that I've started reading and uh, saying something about that on Twitter and having the author comment back. And then I died briefly, <laughs> but I was brought back you to life. You were a life. puddle of goo on the floor. <laughs> I'd be like, all right, come on, let's let kids get the mold. We've got to pour mommy into it again. I did. I died for like a few seconds. But um, no. So it was really awesome to like have that interaction while I was. And at that point, I had kind of caught up and was almost done the third book, having read the first two prequels to the third book. But um, but it's an amazing series. So I definitely want to recommend that if no one's read it yet. I won't get too into it, what I liked about it. But you should definitely check it out. Good write a review on it. Yeah. See, oh, I, I should. Yeah. I should. Mm-hmm. So I want to go back a little bit and talk about this thing with Scarpy because it oh, just, I'm sorry. It, it caused me. So one of the things I noticed is that I read through the interactions between Scarpy and, and Quoth like three times. Right. There is no opportunity at any point for him to have learned his name prior to him saying it. Yes. It's not like there were off screen conversations between the two of them. Nothing like that. Quoth said about four sentences to him, ran out of the inn, and then showed up the next day, but he showed up late, so he wouldn't have even had time to interact with him beforehand, and then these Talon priests burst in, and at the very end, he calls Quoth by his name and says, get out of here. Now, what I also noticed in rereading it is that prior to that, he calls one of the Talon priests by name as well. Hmm. Now, I don't know if that's because he actually knew the guy and had had interactions with him before, or if it's more what Ian sort of suspects, which is that this cat Scarpy is a namer, Hmm. and that he's saying these people's names 
B- but Quoth is kind of hearing it in his own head in sort of a different mm. way, you know. And so he speculates that Scarpy called Quoth by his true name, but what Quoth heard was Quoth. Interesting. It's a very interesting theory. A- and why I think the theory, I believe the theory is accurate is because from the moment he walks out of that building, mm-hmm. that's the moment his mind wakes up. Yeah. He's been sitting three years in Tarbian and, you know, like a lump on a log, hiding on a roof, unable to access all these things that he's kind of put to sleep through his suffering and his trauma. And when this guy says his name, it's like he wakes that up inside of him. That I think that makes so much sense, and it's a spectacular theory. The other thing is, I started. Re- I came to another realization, and that is that everything when we've been saying the Amir, we've been talking about the Amir, the Amir. You know, historically, the Amir were disbanded three hundred years ago, and uh, the but they didn't go away, and all that. One of the things that I just realized in all this research I was doing is that. What we've been referring to as the Amir are not really the Amir. Hmm. So if you go back and you read his story, the Amir were people that um, Aleph basically turned into angels. Yes. But then he forever hid them from mortal view. So the Amir that the Chandrian are afraid of are these angel-like creatures. But this thing that popped up, you know, for the greater good, for the greater good, who (laughs) run around and imprison and judge people, this is just this, like, human cult. Right. Not the same thing. Now, I know, I I guess I read that, but I hadn't quite understood that. Right. And now I get it. So now when we talk about the Amir, it's like, well, which one? Are we talking about the cult of the Amir? Are we talking about the hidden cult of the Amir? Or are we talking about the angel-like creatures? Right. You know, the supernatural Amir. So it's just more of a wrinkle that I didn't quite get. My goodness. Thank you for bearing with me. Oh, there's a lot going on. There's a lot going so, on. So guys, we, we did back to school shopping today. So, so we're a little beat. We're a little <laughs> off our game. It's because there was wailing and gnashing of teeth and trying on clothes and it's there's nothing more draining than trying to try on clothes school clothes for four children at one time <laughs> but we won't we won't bore you with the details I mean, probably there is but we're megalomaniacs so well, exactly. our pain is it's the all worst about pain. us exactly <laughs> exactly all right i do want to also go over the book recommendations that people gave us Oh, yeah so we asked for some book recommendations for what to read afterwards and we we haven't made a decision, but I want to kind of talk about what's out there that people have recommended to us. So I'll kind of go through and and list what they recommended to us. So one was Demon Cycle by P.V. Brett, The Slow Regard of Silent Things, and The Lightning Tree, which I think we definitely will do. It's just a question of when. Uh, The Duncan Egg novellas. Mm -hmm. A couple recommendations there. Leviathan Wake. Oh, that's a good book. The Gentleman Bastard series. Oh, those are good books. Too. Mm-hmm. Jonathan Strange, Mr. Norrell. Mm, someone recommended that? Who? Uh, Izzy. Izzy Canini. Izzy, high five. Long Ba-boom. distance. Podcast yep. high five. There you go. Ready Player One. 
That's awesome. Uh, I don't know how to pronounce this, but uh, Return to Never- uh, Neverion. It's one of that's got a lot of accents and umlauts on it. Right. By uh, Samuel R. Delaney. First Law Trilogy. Ooh. The Dark I Tower. Joe Abercrombie. Yeah. Mistborn. Oh, you know, I love Mistborn. Sorry. I do, yeah, I'm yeah. like... Red Rising, which I'm not familiar with. Oh, Red Rising is so good. Sorry. And then the I'm ones that got... The here. ones that... <laughs> The ones that got the biggest votes were uh, The Way of Kings mm-hmm. and the Farseer Trilogy by Robin Hobb. I have been meaning for like 20 years to read the, Farse- read the Farseer Trilogy. Maybe not that long. I don't know how long it's been out. But I've been meaning to read that for a long time. It's always on the list of books that I would like. There's kind of a point for it and a point against it in my mind. Uh, the point against it being that everybody who's recommended it to me has said, oh, it's great. But there's a there's some parts you just kind of have to slog through. Oh, will of time ish. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm not, I don't know what it means. So, but everybody who said it has said, "Well, it's it's amazing," but like there's always been that but. Right. Everybody who's ever recommended it. Right. Um. But on the plus side, it would be nice for us to read something where neither of us have read it, and there's not that many candidates. It's true. So something to think about. I just wanted to kind of let people know what's what we're potentially discussing as far as that goes. Um, And of course, we're going to need to kind of narrow this list down. There are some that are kind of already on the short list. Um, I would like to read the Gentleman Bastard series and we're finding and the fourth book is not that far from being out. So it's reasonable to expect it'll be out by the time we read it. Ready Player One, the Duncan Egg novellas. Right. You know, those are kind of already on on the uh, short list, as well as Slow Regard of Silent Things and The Lightning Tree. I think those are all things that we'll get to. Right. Interesting, nobody recommended Wheel of Time. <laughs> you know, I I had a conversation um, with um, someone about that recently, and I think it might have been Daryl about yeah. how we both recommend that someone either audiobook or like... <laughs> cliff notes books you know oh gosh like nine through eleven or something like that if you were to do what we're doing with wheel of time holy hell it would take years it would take a long time years unless you did like a book per podcast yeah and and i don't think you and with a book like wheel of time i don't think you get into the detail you need to right you know we could do this with wheel of time it would take years and i still wouldn't know who half the as are <laughs> except they're all grumpy bitches oh grumpy their, bitch number one yeah grumpy fold, bitch number 37 folding their arms beneath their breasts beneath their breasts and sniffing sniffing <laughs> you could is the sniffing like a sniffing in or is it like a <laughs> sniffing out there like Making little snot rockets. That's snot what I've rockets. always wondered. It's definitely snot rockets. It's definitely snot. As I put snot rockets on my uh, on my microphone pop filter. Um, At least yeah. you're not rubbing it on your boobs. Ah, we call that a callback. Um, yeah, which is, I mean, how, it, Wheel of Time was, you know, written before the uh, the podcast re- review. It does not fit well into this format. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Okay, so I'm done. 
We're meandering as fuck over here. I think we need to turn no, the microphones I off. I feel like we kept it as tight as we could for being an hour and 40 minutes. Like we were just andering. Only andering, not misandering. Slightly. Perhaps some reandering. <laughs> But oh I'm, my God! I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna make claims. Turn it off. <laughs> this is this is how all of our podcasts have been ending recently, with <laughs> with one or both of us going for for fuck's Dear sake, God, turn it off, Jesus! <laughs> like that's got to build confidence. It's fine. Come back next week. <laughs> all right. You can find us. <laughs> At the Duke and Duchess Podcast.com on Twitter at the D N D Podcast and on Facebook at the Duke and Duchess. If you like us, give us a review like the Nerdy Bitches did. Thank you. But if you really like us, share the information on, on Facebook, Twitter, share our little SoundCloud commercials that we kind of put out there, the 30 second to one minute little snippets that we do. And hey, you might find that some of your friends who you think don't know anything about King Killer Chronicles are thinking the same thing about you. They could be secret nerds. They could be secret nerds. Secret nerds. We know some secret nerds. You've been in a song Reading books in the bushes. <laughs> <laughs> Turn it off. <laughs> Good night. Good night. Good night.